You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. The Bible reading today comes from John chapter 6, verses 22 to 35. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Thanks, Dan. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. We have been blessed with a beautiful day for Jungle Float. Yeah, I'm excited. People ask me, what's the plan? What's the the vision ministry plan for Harborside Church? Two words, Jungle Float. That's it. (laughs) Let's just do that four times a year. We've got this thing. Oh, it's going to... Hey? Hashtag. Okay, right. Well, welcome. It really is good to be here this morning. We just have a wonderful passage of scripture before us. Dan read it so well. There's so much to unpack. It is so rich. I know I feel like I say that almost every time I'm up here to speak, but it's true. God's word is rich and it's got a lot of goodness for us this morning. This passage contains Jesus' first I am statement. John is full of seven of them. I am dot, dot, dot. Today's, it's a big one. It's a big claim. And this is what we're doing in this series. We're in the Gospel of John for 10 weeks, investigating these claims of Jesus. What would life be like if, what would life be like if they were true? What would be different? Today's is a big one. We are looking at, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. What does that mean? What does Jesus mean when he says that? What question is he trying to answer? 
Is it relevant to you? Is it relevant to me? It's got to be. What difference does this statement make? I am the bread of life. What difference does that statement make to you and me living here and now? That's our focus for this morning. What did Jesus mean when he said, I am the bread of life? Well, we're in John chapter 6, a mammoth chapter, 71 verses. And we're going to go through each verse bit by bit. No, we're not. We're not going to do that. We're going to focus on really just 10 verses. It's a mammoth chapter. It's a whole series on this. We're not going to do that. Focus on 10 verses. But it's important to look at where we've come from. I wanted to spend a bit of time on the beginning of chapter 6 because it really is relevant to our passage. The beginning of chapter 6 is a pretty familiar story. I think you would have heard of it. Jesus feeding the 5,000. You would have heard of it before. It's pretty relevant to our passage for today. Jesus feeding the 5,000. If you don't know the story, here it is really briefly. A huge crowd of people have followed Jesus to where he is now. Where are they? A pretty isolated place, pretty remote. Jesus is now at the height of his popularity. He can draw a crowd. Thousands of people have wandered quite far from anywhere to hear him teach. It's getting late in the day. People are getting tired and grumpy and hungry. Now, the discussion goes, how are we going to feed these people? Jesus asks the disciples, what should we do? They say, we don't know. There's obviously no takeout back then. And even if there was, they're not close to anything. And even if there was, they wouldn't have the money. It would bankrupt them having to feed this many people. What are we going to do? One of the industrious disciples goes around and figures out, okay, maybe people have some food to share. And he sources what there is. He brings it back to Jesus, pretty pathetic. You know what it is? Five loaves and two fish. We're talking about five small loaves, tiny loaves, this big, and two little fish. Gives it to Jesus. Jesus is in that phase. He's like, okay, thanks for that. Go and get everybody seated. Go and organize people. Go and seat them. And you know what happens. Jesus takes what's given to him, five small loaves, two fish, and he gives thanks and he breaks the bread and he starts distributing it. And of course, the miracle is what? doesn't run out. It goes around. Miracle of the feeding of 5,000. The truth is 5,000 men were there, so there was most likely 10, 12,000 people. For some reason, they only counted men then back then. So over 10,000 people most likely. The food doesn't run out, okay? It goes around. And here's the thing. It's not like everyone got a a tiny morsel. Everyone got a sniff, a lick, a tiny taste. People had their fill. They were satisfied. Remember that. People were satisfied. They had enough. There was leftovers. There was abundance. There was a sense of overflowing. Remember that. They ate and were satisfied. Now, the crowd knows what's happened. They know that there was a tiny amount of food and it wasn't going to make it around. So something special has happened. Wow, this Jesus is pretty special. He's not normal. He's obviously from God. They say he must be a prophet. He's sent by God. They've got an idea. Let's make him, he'd be a great leader. Let's make him king. Let's get a populist movement going and let's make Jesus king. He'd be much better than this Herod guy. They don't like him too much. Let's make Jesus king. Sounds like a good idea, right? Jesus is the king. He would be a good king. But then Jesus does kind of maybe the first unexpected thing in this whole chapter. 
They want to make him king. He disappears. <laughs> they want to make him their ruler, their leader, and he buggers off. Disappears. Somebody needs to tell Jesus this is not how you build a brand. It's just not, right? You capitalize on your success. If you have a hit single, you get out there and you tour the rest of the album. That's what you do, right? Promote, promote, promote. Strike while the iron's hot. Ride the wave of popularity. Classic Jesus, very upside down, this whole passage. He won't have any of it. Jesus will not be made in anyone else's image. They want to make him king. He goes up to a mountain by himself, feeding the 5,000. Right, moving to the next section, which is just as remarkable and kind of weird. Jesus walking on water, you know the story? (laughs) Jesus is still up on the mountain, okay? The disciples leave. We don't know if they had a discussion, if Jesus said, go ahead of me, I'll meet you there. Regardless, Jesus is up on the mountain. The disciples leave. They cross the Sea of Galilee, which is huge, they're five kilometers out, big lake. In the middle of it, it's the middle of the night, a storm, the wind picks up, they're in a storm. During this, Jesus comes out to them and meets them on the water. <laughs> Jesus walks on water. Why? Maybe it was just the most direct way of getting to his disciples. He walks out there. Of course, the disciples are completely terrified. And he says, don't worry, it's me. And they invite him into the boat. What happens? Two things really quickly. The storm ceases and they arrive at the place where they're going. Now, just put yourselves in the position of the disciples. They must be thinking, who is this guy? Freaking out. Jesus, again, just displays his mastery over the elements, his divinity. Who is this guy? Back to the crowd who were fed. They wake up the next day. They're on the other side of the lake, the same side where they were fed. Jesus and the disciples aren't there. They obviously have searched around to try and find him. Thankfully for them, some boats appear so they can go across the other side of the lake and find Jesus. That's where we arrive at verse 22 this morning. That's, this, that's the background of what we are seeing today. It's no accident Jesus tells these people, I am the bread of life less than 24 hours after he's fed a crowd of about 10,000 people, right? So here we are. We're going to focus on these 10 verses. And as we do, we're going to see a bit of back and forth. You might have heard it during the reading. Crowd comes to Jesus, and they ask him a series of questions, and he replies. 10 verses are back, forth, back, forth, about four of them. And while we're going to, we're going to investigate that, and while we're doing that, we are going to see the answer to the question of, what does Jesus mean when he says, I'm the bread of life? That's what we're going to do this morning. You ready? Let's do this together. Let's have a look at the first back and forth in verse 25. When they, now that's the crowd who have crossed the lake, who have fed the day before. You with me? When they found him, that is Jesus, on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, (laughs) very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Now, the question the crowd asks is, Rabbi, when do you get here? But really, the question is, where on earth have you been? That's the vibe of the question. We've been looking everywhere for you. You nicked off. We wanted to make you king. We couldn't find you. 
where have you been? Right? That's the vibe of the question. And yet, this crowd is seeking Jesus, aren't they? I mean, at some sort of sacrifice, in the middle of nowhere, they've crossed a lake. Like, they're going out of their way to pursue Jesus. They're interested, seeking him. So, you know, Jesus' reply is a little bit surprising, maybe the second unexpected thing we can see in John 6. Because what does Jesus do? He doesn't say, yes, they found me. Sit down. He confronts them, right? He challenges them. He almost puts a bit of cold water on their warmth of him. What's Jesus doing here? Why would he do that? Because Jesus knows why they're here. You can see it in his reply. He, know, he can see through their question to their self-seeking motives. He's saying, you're looking for me not because you're interested in my teaching or the will of God or what God might be doing, bringing his kingdom here on earth. You got a free feed yesterday and you want another one today. That's it. You're hungry again. You want more bread. Isn't that it? It's confronting, right? Jesus is confronting them. Don't pretend I know why you're here. Can we get a little bit deeper, please? Jesus can see the crowd wants their immediate physical needs met. They're hungry. We get that. And he's going to use that hunger to point to the reality of another hunger, a spiritual hunger, right? Now, it may not be the way to build a quick following. You're probably getting the vibe of that. But it's the way to get to people's heart motives. Why are you here? It's what Jesus is interested in. Why are you really here? What do you want me to do for you? Why have you come to me? I tell you what, that question is asked of us too, thousands of years later. Why are you here? Why do you, why do you come to Jesus? What are our motives? What do we want him to do for us? Do we, do we just want our immediate needs met? If you could just do this one thing, like the crowd... We just want our immediate questions, our very specific questions answered or, or our present pain just taken away. That's why I'm here. Or our immediate doubts to be dealt with. This is what Jesus is trying to throw light on. Really? That's all you've come to me for? Check out what he says in verse 27. Don't work for food, for the food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. What's he saying to the crowd? <laughs> Don't fixate on getting a free meal. However miraculous it was. Don't be distracted by these things. Don't settle for the food that spoils. Now, why does this matter? Why is it important? Why does it matter? I mean, Jesus... Doesn't he care about our physical needs? 
I thought he did, right? Doesn't Jesus care about our, our physical needs, about the detail in our lives? Yes, he does very much. And he walks with us through everything in our lives, every detail. So why does this matter? Here's why. This is really important. Here's why. Because Jesus loves us too much to let us be focused solely on something so small. You follow me? Right? Jesus loves us too much to only satisfy our immediate needs. He wants to give us himself. Let's keep exploring that. Right? He, he said, you want just a free feed? <laughs> I can give you a lot more than that. You see? Uh, I'm a type 1 diabetic. I have been for about 18 years. And when I was first diagnosed, went to the doctor, and I was not expecting that diagnosis at all. It was totally out of the blue. Um, I, one of the really intense symptoms as you're suffering from this before your diagnosis, you lose a lot of weight, but one thing is thirst. You experience thirst like you've never experienced before. I would wake up, my mouth was so dry. It's really all I could think about for weeks leading up to my diagnosis. Just incredible thirst. And so I went to the doctor thinking, I've got a virus. I'm dehydrated. I just need more fluids. That's what I need. So when the doctor said, you've got type 1 diabetes, it was in shock a bit, I guess. And I was like, no, 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 I've got a virus. Just strap me into some saline solution for it. You know, that's what I need. And I think I may have even said that. No, I just, I need fluids. He said, well, that's not going to really help you. That's a symptom. That's a presenting symptom. That's not going to address the underlying problem. The underlying problem is your body's not producing insulin. You can't convert glucose into energy. You need insulin. I'm not going to give you just fluids. That's only going to give you very, very temporary relief, you see? And you see where I'm going with this? Jesus loves us too much to give us the, the, what he would say, the food that spoils. He's not uninterested in our physical needs or, or our more present existential needs, but he's, he doesn't want to leave things there. I can give you what your soul really wants. Now, Jesus is the master storyteller and teacher, isn't he? And he is using the parable of the feeding of 5,000 as a metaphor, talking about bread, building on his previous miracle. These people are experiencing hunger. In physical hunger, he's saying, it's like another hunger. It's like a spiritual hunger. He's saying to these people and to you and I, do you want a delicious and permanently satisfying meal? I can show you where to get it. And I think we can relate to physical hunger, right? We've probably all experienced what it's like to be hungry. Maybe we've done one of these fasts or maybe we really know what it's like to not have food. And so, of course, many people around the world really know what it's like to go to bed hungry and experience that. But it's a human thing. We know what it's like to be hungry, to crave food, to be drawn to it, to desire to be filled with satisfying food. And we also know that it doesn't last. Like, we're pretty kind of dependent things, aren't we? We can't go long without food. For me, it's a bunch of hours Then I'm thinking about the next meal, right? Jesus, the master teacher, he's using this feeling to point to what we can see here, a soul hunger. He's saying, you have a soul and it's hungry. What are you going to feed it? 
You have a soul. It's crying out for food. What will you feed it? And I don't think it's a stretch for me to say we can relate to this idea of having a soul that hungers, right? A yearning deep within ourselves for meaning, for purpose. One commentator calls human beings meaning makers. We can't help it. We can't help but but manufacture a reason for being. Meaning. Can't help it. We're looking for the thing that satisfies. Now, I don't know about you, but it feels like there's just no shortage of, of people who claim, I've found it. I've found the thing. It, this is it. I mean, it feels like that's what social media is just throwing up at us all the time. This is it. This will, this will be it for you. Try this, do this, buy this, experience this. I am bombarded with it all the time. I don't know about you. Products offering, this is it. Now, it's, there's the old sex, drugs, and rock and roll, of course. But there are more socially acceptable things too, aren't there? Like career, relationships, family, children, good things that we can make the ultimate thing. We are just looking at things and so often asking, is this it? Is this the thing? Is this the thing that will fulfill me? And a bit of a side note here, but I love this. What I find so compelling about Jesus here is that he doesn't diminish our yearnings. What do I mean by that? He doesn't dismiss us for having desires. He doesn't dismiss them or say, you know, they're wrong, they're dirty, don't feel like this. Jesus doesn't say that. I think there are people out there who have a warped view of the church, who think the church is all, no, 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 don't feel, don't have any desires, push them down, ignore them. Jesus doesn't have any of that. He is validating our desire Notice that? He's validating our desire while redirecting it to something bigger. The only thing that can handle it, himself. Jesus says, set your desire, <laughs> trust me, on the only thing that will satisfy and last, that won't destroy you. What does he say? Work for the food that endures to eternal life. Now, the crowd's next question might be yours. What do they ask? Oh, okay. Um, then they asked him, well, what must we do to do the works that God requires? I kind of love this because I can completely relate. It's so interesting. The crowd immediately asks for a checklist. What do I do? All right, Jesus, what do I do? Anyone here a checklist person? I am. Yep. Okay. Thanks. I I've just recently transitioned to digital. I use, I've got book notebooks, reams of them, where I just write my list for the week of the day. I love that feeling. Yes. You with me? Just checking it off. It feels so good. Even if I've achieved something, I'll still write it out and then cross it off. It just feels good. I've transitioned to an online one. It's not as nice ticking the box, you know, but anyway, I'm doing it. It is more helpful. What do I need to do? Jesus, give me the checklist. I'll do it. Why do we think like this? Well, 
I think it's not unfair that we do. So many areas of our lives work like this, don't they? So why not then the way we relate to God? This is, it feels like this is the way of the world. You don't get anything for free. No such thing as a free lunch, right? You work for what you get. We're conditioned to this paradigm, this framework. It feels natural. Man, it was drilled into me as a kid. I don't know about you. You achieve if you get out there. I can still hear my grandparents say, you make your own luck. You make your own luck. Get out there. You get in what you put out. All right, Jesus, tell me what to do. Give me a checklist. It feels like every other faith system is like that. You want to get to God? This is what you must do. What if I can't do it? Unlucky. It's all based on what we can do. Then why shouldn't we relate to Jesus in the same way? This is why. (laughs) Because Jesus is totally upside down. Completely countercultural. No matter what you think about the Christian faith, it stands alone, utterly different. And Jesus knows this, of course, and he reorients their question accordingly. Their question is, what, what are the works that we've got to do? And what's his response? Verse 29. I love it, Jesus. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The work... It's not your work. It's a work of God. What? Yeah. It's not about you. It's about God. It seems upside down, and it is. Faith is primarily a gift from God. Do we respond? Absolutely, yes. But God's grace is a gift. No one can earn it, so no one can boast. It's a gift. They say, what are the works, plural, we must do? He says, no, no, the work, singular. (laughs) This is the work. This is the thing, the thing to draw your attention to. What should we be doing? God does the doing. We respond. How? What does he say? Believe in the one he has sent. Believe. That's it? Believe? We might translate that as trust, exercise faith, dependence on. That's it? Believe? It it sounds simple. It isn't complicated, is it? I fear it may be too simple for us sophisticated Mossman people. It's so simple a child can do it. That's the idea. Simple, uncomplicated, easy? No, no. Easy? No, no, no. But simple, uncomplicated, straightforward. Children often model it better. Believe in me, trust in me. Simple, I didn't say it was easy. What's the work? Trust him, believe in him, receive the grace of Christ and take it back to him in faith. Okay, how does the crowd respond to this? Okay, then. Prove it. Believe in the one he sent. Is that you then? 
prove it. I, I, I picture half the crowd with sort of arms folded. All right, prove it. Now, a better reply would have been, oh, help, help us trust you then, Lord. Maybe more humble. Rather than, all right, go on, perform. Do something that would be worthy of our trust. That's what they say. They say, you know what, Moses, he did some pretty impressive things. Do you know him, Moses? Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, I know Moses, yeah. He did some impressive things to our forefathers when they were hanging around in the desert 40 years. He produced bread from heaven, the manna that appeared in the morning. He produced bread from heaven for 40 years. You fed us yesterday for one afternoon. Moses fed us for 40 years. Beat that. I'm always surprised Jesus just doesn't go, smite. You know, I would have. Prove yourself. Feels a bit obnoxious, doesn't it? We're supposed to get a bit of sense of that. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus has asked the same thing, prove it, and he roundly rejects them. At one point, he says, I'll give you a sign, sign of Jonah, my death and resurrection. Pretty good sign. Prove yourself. It is a bit obnoxious. And yet, Jesus is making a big claim. Yeah? Put your trust in me, I'm worthy of it. Really? So I think it makes sense to figure out if he's worthy of that trust. But I think here, posture is everything, right? I can imagine half of the crowd, like I said before, arms folded saying, all right, prove it. Big difference from that and open-handed. Okay, Lord, show me the way. Big difference, yeah? Big difference. See, I I totally empathize with people who are wrestling with questions, wrestling with faith, because that was me, and I'll be honest with you, that's still me. If you meet a Christian who isn't wrestling, who doesn't have questions, doesn't have doubts and struggles, I would wonder, is your faith real and active? Because it's not easy being a Christian. We read things in the Bible, we experience things, and man, sometimes we think, whoa, do I believe this? Anybody with me or is it just me? Yeah, okay. I get it. We all have questions and doubts. This life is a wrestle and a struggle. I get it. But I think let's be careful not to demand more of Jesus, right? One commentator calls it moreism. I kind of liked that. Moreism. If only God would do more to show his love for me. Whew. Let's be careful about one. Really? I mean, I totally get the questions of faith, wrestling. I absolutely get it. But when we come to understand what Christ has really done for us, his death on the cross in our place, his resurrection from the dead, you know what? If only he could do more, would we really require him to go to the cross again? Because if, if that's not enough, let me say this. Nothing will. Nothing will be. Once we understand what he's done, if that isn't enough, nothing will be. Yes, let's wrestle with our doubts. I love, go ahead and read Mark 9. There's a father in there who is wrestling with doubt and he says, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. That's a pretty common prayer in my heart. 
Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. That's a beautiful way to approach Jesus. Let's wrestle with our doubts and be thankful for what Christ has already done. All right, let's keep moving. So the crowd says this to Jesus, and it feels like he should just totally smite them, but he doesn't because he is awesome and kind and gracious, not like me. He graciously answers the crowd while doing some more correcting, redirecting. He says, yeah, I know Moses. (laughs) I know Moses. And guess what? It wasn't Moses who gave him the bread in the wilderness. It was God. And let me tell you something else. God right now has provided bread from heaven for the world. And he stands before you now. That's right. You can get bread from heaven right now. If only you had eyes to see. And then the crowd asks their final question. And I think it's actually something we can get behind. It's something we can say, and we're going to finish up in a minute. Jesus responds simply, oh, sorry, the crowd asks their final question, and it's this. Lord, please always give us this bread. And then Jesus responds simply with just pretty much the gospel in a statement, and it's this. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the thing all humans long for. Talk about a claim. (laughs) Talk about a big claim. Here's the first question. Okay, if he's the bread of life, how do we get him? How do we get him? Here's the first thing. We pray the simple request of the crowd. Lord, always give us this bread. Always give us this bread. What else? Well, listen up, folks, because here it gets real complicated. It's hard. Only the super spiritual will get it. Are you ready? Here it is. Just come. Of course, I'm totally joking. It couldn't be more simple. Just come. We're going to finish up in a moment. But before we do, please notice this with me, just how simple this is. We've touched on it. We're going to finish with this. We might want it to be noble and impressive, right? But that's not the way. So no one can boast. Just come. All the grandeur and awesomeness and impressiveness belongs to Jesus. Our response, it's simple. Not easy. Simple. Just come. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, doesn't he? Pretty open. Whoever. It's personal. It's individual. It's continuous. Whoever. It's personal, open to all. Couldn't be more personal, couldn't be more broad. The invitation is continuous. Come again and again and again. Just come. Jesus doesn't give us detail. Do you notice that? He just says, (laughs) whoever comes, just come. And the ones who do, 
are promised their souls will never hunger again. Just come. Not deeply, utterly, earnestly, which I'll be honest with you, I'm tempted to add, no. Simple, just come. Jesus sets the bar low intentionally. Who am I to set it any higher? Just come. Uh, this, this seems too simple. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've got a lot of crap in my life to deal with. Yeah, just come. Yeah, but you, I have so many questions. <laughs> yeah, just come. Uh, I, I, have, I struggle with doubt. Just come. You, you don't really know me. I have made some huge mistakes. Yep. Just come. <laughs> My life's a bit of a mess right now. Yep. Just come. I'm pretty sure this invitation isn't for me. Whoever comes to me, just come. I'm not a religious person. Me neither. Just come. The question is just this. Are you hungry? Come to Jesus to be filled. We're now going to share in communion, the Lord's Supper, this beautiful meal of remembrance. Christians have been doing this for a couple of thousand years in memory of what Christ has done we are going to feed on him by our, in our hearts by faith together. It's a time when we remember Jesus' body and blood given for us. In a moment, I'm going to pray to prepare our hearts. Here's how it's going to work this morning. This is a meal for Christians, but let me say this. If you are not a Christian, but you want to take a step of faith toward God today, you are so welcome. You could use this moment as a symbol of coming to Jesus. His invitation, just come. What's going to happen is uh, myself and Caleb are going to be on either side with other people. And we're going to say these words to you when you grab the bread. Body of Christ given for you. And the cup. The blood of Christ given for you. Can I encourage you? Don't rush it. After the, 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 one of the helpers says the words in front of you, then take the element, eat or drink. Take a moment, say a prayer, and then go back to your seat. And let's try and keep the room quiet. Let's have this as a special moment. There will be, I believe, a, a table here that will have the pre-packaged cup with the wafer on it and you know if you're quite COVID conscious or anything like that you can go ahead and grab that and use that those elements in this little way we're doing the Lord's Supper hope I've explained that there is gluten-free bread as well that's going to be clearly marked okay I think I got all the details sorted we're all going to line up down this central aisle go right or left it doesn't matter where and then head back to your seat okay I'm going to pray can we pray together
Let's bow our heads and prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Well, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we freely want to admit to you that we have gone our own way. We haven't trusted in you. We have sought other things to satisfy that soul hunger. We admit it. And we know that we deserve your condemnation. Lord, together we ask for your forgiveness. And we thank you that you promise forgiveness for those who ask. Lord, help us to love you and our neighbour, to live for your honour and glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Friends, can I invite you to now receive the bread and the wine, the juice, symbolising Christ's death in our place. Let's eat and drink the gospel. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry. Whoever drinks from me will never be thirsty. Just come.